Hi there, welcome to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence, from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to Neurodivergent Magic. Hey there, Avery. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. I am so psyched to have you back. Your episode that we did a while ago now is still the top episode uh, of my podcast. People absolutely loved what you had to say. I think they really related to it. So I'm so excited to have you back. Yeah, I'm happy to be back. It's great talking to you. So what do you want to know? Well, I thought today we could talk about the differences between borderline personality disorder and complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So BPD versus CPTSD. Mm -hmm. They do look really similar. And I get that a lot on my page. Um, I get a lot of questions about how do I know the difference between the two? Because they do show up really similarly. Um, And before I kind of got diagnosed, like kind of when I was in the, like the right beginning when I was getting assessed and stuff, I knew about complex PTSD and I related heavily to that too. And I was like, I don't know the difference. And as time has gone on and I've kind of done a lot of self-reflection, a lot of therapy and unpacking things, I it's easy for me now to tell the difference between the two. Um, But it makes sense that people get confused, and it also makes sense that a lot of people with complex post-traumatic stress disorder come onto my page and they heavily relate to it. Um, I get a lot of engagement from all kinds of people that uh, have similar disorders. So it is a myth that BPD, like, is just complex PTSD. Um, there, There are differences, and... It can be hard to dis- like distinguish between the two, um, but there are differences, and we can like kind of go over that depending on kind of which sections you want to talk about. Absolutely. Okay, so before we get into this, while people are listening, where can they find you so they can go follow you while they're listening? So I go by Avery the Quiet online. Um, you can find me, my TikTok handle is at quietbpd, pretty simple. Um, you can also Google like Avery BPD, I guess, <laughs> uh, if you can't find me. But um, that's where I mostly hang out is TikTok. That's my spot. Uh, my Instagram is going to be booted up again pretty quick here. So you can find me on Instagram at Avery the Quiet. Um, and I also have links in my bio to other resources as well. Okay, awesome. Thank you. All right, so where exactly do we want to start? Maybe we should start with the similarities. So for people who are listening who aren't sure what those similarities are, um, how do BPD and CPTSD sometimes look similar? What what traits do they share? Mm -hmm. So with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, um, it looks really similar because there are things like emotional dysregulation there's a lot of dissociation uh, and things like negative self-image, feeling really like hopeless and worthless and numb and stuck. Um, mm. And also a lot of people with CPTSD uh, engage in something called 
the fawn response or the freeze response. Um, and those are part of like four different trauma responses that we can we can get to like trauma obviously. Um, and so with quiet BPD specifically, the fawn the freeze and fawn response show up. Um, and that's how we deal with our symptoms of BPD. We shut down and we internalize a lot of things. We take out our emotions on ourselves instead of having outbursts at other people. Um, and CPTSD also looks like that. It, you know, when you're traumatized and you're confused and you're trying to deal with that and unpack that, it can feel really isolating and it, it feels like you're trapped in your own mind. You're like in an emotional cage um, and you don't know how to release a lot of the pain. And so you just kind of internalize it like, you know, a can of compressed air with no nozzle. Um, and that's, that's kind of how they look similar. That's why a lot of people with CPTSD only and not BPD relate to my page a lot. So... Yeah, absolutely. I can totally see those things being similar and especially, correct me if I'm wrong on this because I am still learning about a lot of this stuff, but a lot, maybe not all, but a lot of folks with BPD also have a history of trauma. And so that can get confusing when it's like, okay, but I have this trauma. So isn't it CPTSD or is it BPD? Like, how do I know? Yeah. So let's, let's dive into some of these differences then. So what is like, if, if there was just one key difference that you're like, okay, these are clearly different experiences, what would that like key difference be, you think? Or is it really more of a smattering of small differences? I would say it's a smattering of smaller things. So the fact is like, I, uh, I was treated for BPD and diagnosed with BPD, but I also later uh, about, I don't know, like a year-ish after uh, my BPD diagnosis, I was treated for PTSD and CPTSD. My psychologist gave me a lot of worksheets on things specifically for CPTSD because when you have BPD, it doesn't come out of nowhere um, in like your later adulthood. It can, it kind of, there's a thing called biosocial theory, which basically suggests that BPD comes from a genetic factor and is fostered by an invalidating environment. So it doesn't necessarily have to be traumatic, like overly traumatic. Um, an invalidating environment doesn't immediately mean abusive. Uh, and that's why we specifically uh, like emphasize invalidating environment. Um, a lot of people with quiet BPD uh, and CPTSD, they minimize the, the things that they've been through because they compare their like trauma or they compare their upbringing to other people's that have had it worse. You know, a common thought is, well, you know, maybe I don't have BPD or maybe I don't have CPTSD or maybe, maybe I'm just being dramatic because it wasn't really that bad. Um, but the fact is like BPD, you have a genetic predisposition to it a lot of people with BPD have uh, parents who have very similar symptomology to BPD. Um, and so that kind of trickles down uh, through generations, right? And so like 
when you grow up in an invalidating environment, it wasn't necessarily like you were, you know, physically abused as a child or, or like you, you didn't necessarily have to go through like horrible, horrible things. Um, you can get BPD from like a, a childhood of like intense trauma for sure, but it doesn't always have to be that. So that's why we say an invalidating environment. And with complex PTSD, you can get it later in life because it just means that you have gone through a long period of time with a bunch of horrible things that have happened to you. Um, and so, you know, I have, I'm a survivor of domestic violence and I started developing these like complex PTSD symptoms after a while like i relate heavily to complex ptsd and was treated for that because it the fact is it wasn't a a childhood of trauma but it was a long period of time where a lot of horrible things happened to me um and it, so it wasn't just like an acute event it wasn't this acute traumatic event that was singular um it was a bunch of horrible things one after another you know in a in a an extended period of time and that really messes with people of course like that is a valid trauma and so complex ptsd comes from that um and sometimes it can people can have a traumatic childhood and that's a long period of time where a lot of bad things have happened to you that should not have happened right um so it, it isn't always childhood trauma that you get complex PTSD. You can develop it after just a series of traumatic events. Um, so that's kind of important for people to know and understand when you're differentiating the two. Um, BPD doesn't just develop in your later adulthood after, you know, uh, an adolescence of no symptoms. Uh, it is fostered, whereas CPTSD can happen at any point in your life um so that's like it's a long-winded explanation of like kind of how that occurs and there ah. are a lot of other differences as well there are you know like um it's it is a smattering of like little differences so there isn't just one thing for sure that differentiates the two you have to really um look at the big picture and all the little details within it yeah, absolutely. And I love that you talk about the fact that complex PTSD does not have to come from your childhood. I think that's really, really important because there are so many people who their childhood maybe was great or at least adequate and they still went through some shit later in life and it, it matters. It still matters profoundly. So yeah, thank you so much for that, especially. So it seems that I, I like that you distinguish between like when symptoms start to develop and stuff. That seems to be a difference uh, between BPD and CPTSD because I know, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you can't or shouldn't be diagnosed with BPD until you're 18. Is that right? Is that still the yeah, how there, they do it? There are, it's like case by case, right? Right. So right. the reason why mental health professionals don't like to diagnose until you're 18 is because the fact is personality disorders uh need to 
show this pattern of behavior over time. Um, and, you know, the fact is, in response to acute trauma, the symptoms can be similar, right? Um, so when you're diagnosing a personality disorder, you need to show a long, like extended period of time where these symptoms, these cluster of symptoms are really interfering with your daily life and your ability to, um, function just, absolutely. you know, so it, it needs to be really invasive and not acutely. It needs to, you know, it needs to be like, okay, well, how long have you kind of been struggling with these like six months or like several years? Has it been increasingly worse? over the years or or have you been able to like are they not really interfering with your daily life like those are things that need to be considered um i was not diagnosed until i was 24 wow um yeah so and i'm almost 28 now so you know it can happen like 18 year olds can get diagnosed with it uh you you know i've heard of people getting diagnosed before they're 18 because of how invasive clear. these symptoms and how yeah and how clearly they've been affecting their life uh, mm -hmm. for a long time you know uh, so it's not like unheard of to be diagnosed before you're 18 um, but you know like a lot of mental health professionals will say like well it's just hormones let's see if like this stuff kind of fades off after adolescence like you know and i was told that a lot like oh it's just hormones it's just depression it's just anxiety or whatever but then i you know i turned 20 and i was like why are things getting worse like this isn't hormones um this is something there's something going on and it just Absolutely. got worse and worse and worse, right? So, yeah, that's kind of, there is a lot of nuance to it. It's not just, you don't just, like, look at someone and be like, you have BPD. Um, so, it's important to consider the amount of time and the, the trajectory of everything. Absolutely. I think... Anytime we discuss the similarities and differences between different diagnoses, you get people who are like, well, why does the label matter? And I think maybe we should talk about that. So I know why labels matter to me, uh, but I'm, I'm curious to hear why labels matter to you. Like, why is this distinction important? For me, like my opinion has changed over time, right? Um, and I have a very nuanced opinion. I don't necessarily fully believe that they matter and or fully believe that they don't matter i think it is important to consider like labels and you know like, like some people will say the dsm is just not even real and you know like why why do these labels matter anyway we're all just like being human and i you know that makes sense to an extent, but I also do think that there needs to be a balance between supporting, like, you know, clinical evidence of things and also not making your diagnosis your whole identity and, and like, dehumanizing yourself, right? Um, so labels, to me, I, I 
I don't shun the label of having BPD or I don't shun the, the concept of, you know, saying that I have complex PTSD or I have PTSD because the fact is like, it's easier to have just like a small little label to explain what you struggle with. That's, that is the point of a diagnosis is for everybody to be on the same page about what the struggle is, right? Like you could just have a whole long-winded, hey, I struggle with emotion dysregulation and self-destructive behaviors and dissociation and negative self-image, like blah, blah, blah. You could say that, or you could just say, uh, yeah, I have complex PTSD. Um, and it's it's kind of just like a one-word sum up of, hey, this is what I struggle with, you know, um, and I can find people who relate to that label as well, and we can kind of seek like understanding between each other like do you do you have complex ptsd oh my god i have complex ptsd oh my god hard relate like totally get it and then you feel less alone because there's a name for something that you struggle with and because there's a name there's so many other people that struggle with that and it, it just gives you a sense of like it just kind of combats a lot of isolation and like self-doubt does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So it sounds like accurate diagnosis doesn't provide an identity or shouldn't provide an identity, but it does provide ease of communication. Uh, it provides validation and it provides a sense of community. Yeah. So, you know, I, the label, like, it's easy when you first get diagnosed to really, really get wrapped up in your diagnosis and do a lot of research and like, you know, in your mind, everything you do can be explained by my disorder and stuff like that. That's a normal kind of phase to have when you first get diagnosed and stuff. And then you eventually reach a level of acceptance where you're like, yep, yeah, I have this disorder and also, it doesn't explain absolutely everything I do ever, you know, like there are a lot of things that I do that are just Avery things, they're just human things, right? And it doesn't have to explain everything. Um, and so a lot of people feel this resentment toward a label because they feel like they're trapped by this label, like they feel like this label is them and everything they do is explained by this label and it doesn't have to be that. Um, but I also understand that people feel a lot of contempt for labels because of the stigma that comes with systems. So like, you know, insurance laws or like, like insurance or laws or like, um, you know, stigma in just the mental health facilities from mental health professionals. Like you, you come to them with a label and they're like, Ew, you have BPD, but if you say you have complex PTSD, they're like, oh, okay, that's fine. Oh, yeah. I... BPD, they're just like, oh my God, whoa, like, get away from me, or like, oh my God, untreatable, like, right? And so that's where labels become problematic is the, the connotation that, that they have in a lot of areas, a lot of communities, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. I think at one point I 
was pretty convinced that I had BPD. Now I'm like, I, I have some BPD traits. I don't know if I have the diagnosis. I'm trying not to worry about the label too much because um, I'm very much one of those very obsessive people. Labels matter to me profoundly. I'm working on having them matter a little less. Uh, but at one point that was what I thought was going on with me. Um, and I brought it up to a therapist and I pushed her and pushed her. And finally she was like, do you understand? Like, why do you want this label? Do you understand how much it's going to like negatively affect you in your life like I'm I refuse to give you this label basically and I was like oh yeah mm -hmm. yeah in a lot of parts um you are rejected from getting certain benefits or whatever if you have a like a BPD diagnosis mm -hmm. on paper mm -hmm. um and that's really messed up I think that's really messed up and it shouldn't happen. And so, you know, it makes sense that she was just trying to, like, protect you, I guess. Um, but that's where kind of labels come in. Like, you can just kind of accept it and just not have it on paper. You know? Right. Just because it's not on paper doesn't mean that you don't have these struggles, that mm. you don't live with this kind of symptomology, you know? Um so, you know, like, you don't need the label on paper, but, you know, yeah, there's just so many issues with labels, and there's so many good things about them as well. Like we said, like, there's community. You can easily find community with people with through labels, but you can also get rejected from a lot of things that you need with labels that are stigmatized. Absolutely. Yeah, that's sort of what I uh, have been going through with my autism diagnosis. You know, I'm self-diagnosed right now and I'm trying to decide if I want to do a professional assessment because it would bring me a lot of validation and that would be great, but it does come with some serious drawbacks and it's kind of like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's very frustrating. In a perfect in a perfect world, labels would only be helpful, <laughs> but we do not live in a perfect world and that needs to be acknowledged, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so let's recap um, what the main differences between BPD and CPTSD are. So um, BPD is present, is a combination, like you said, the, psych, the biosocial model, correct? Mm -hmm. And so it's a combination of genetics and an invalidating environment. Whereas with CPTSD, you know, that invalidating environment without that genetic component might not, you know, lead to a disorder and everything. So CPTSD is more about the trauma that happened and less about that genetic component as well. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, CPTSD is not really genetic. It and it's beyond just an invalidating environment. It's like blatant neglect or like blatant objective like abuse. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, so and what I mean by that is it, it doesn't have to be like bad enough. It's not it's not that but invalidating is not the same as abusive. Yes, there's a difference. 100%. Right? So, like, um, complex PTSD, usually people who have complex PTSD from their childhood, they have things like religious trauma, 
They grew mm. up in a cult. Um, they were blatantly neglected or parentified as a child. Um, or they went through objective, like, no, no question, like, that was abuse, right? Um, or you, and it's, like I said, it's not just from childhood. Uh, you can get complex PTSD from surviving domestic violence. And domestic violence looks like a lot of different things. It doesn't look like how it does in the media where you just see only instances of, like, physical abuse. Um, you know, domestic violence is very sensationalized in the media as being this blatant thing that there's no question that that happened. But um, domestic violence can be very covert. So you can go and survive covert abuse from someone uh, and get complex PTSD. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I'll have you back and we'll talk about overt versus covert abuse and such like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, okay, so what are some of the other differences that we covered between BPD and CPTSD? Um, so there are some different ones that we haven't really talked about. Oh, okay, yes, give me more. Yeah. So with BPD and CPTSD, BPD is like, it's a personality disorder, right? And so it is very invasive in a lot of facets of somebody's life, um, like their personality. CPTSD is kind of a shame-based disorder. Mm. Um, it's like shame and fear. PTSD stems from fear. It's a fear-based disorder, and CPTSD is like a that fear had been going on for so long that now it's turned into this like internalized shame um and so that's a really important thing that isn't talked about a lot the the basis of these disorders and when you have ptsd and cptsd you get a lot of triggers and with bpd you can get triggers as well but with CPTSD, you identify, you get a lot of nightmares, you get a lot of flashbacks, you get a lot of, like, triggers that happen in all forms. You can get triggers that you don't even understand what's happening. You just think you're having a panic attack, but you're actually triggered by, like, a physical sensation or you're triggered by just things that remind you of what you went through. Um, and it causes a lot of distress. Um, and with BPD, you can get those things as well. And that's why it's kind of hard to, for people to differentiate the two, because yeah, like nightmares are a human thing. Yeah. Um, but like with CPTSD and PTSD, you do get a lot of like flashbacks and unwanted memories and nightmares that are just like, they really screw with your life. They're very invasive. Um, Okay, so would you say with BPD, it's a little different because like you said before, relating back to that previous difference, it's less about like, there doesn't have to be literal abuse. It can be a invalidating environment, which is different. And a lot of times if you grew up in an invalidating environment, you're not gonna have specific memories that come back to haunt you because it wasn't something that happened really. It was the environment you were in. Yeah, so it's more ingrained. It's like really, really deep set. Um, like a lot of people with BPD don't understand why they are so triggered when they get triggered. Mm -hmm. um, they don't, you know, it's very hard to understand and unpack like, why do I do what I do? Why do I engage in this behavior? Um, 
you know, like, where do these defense mechanisms come from? Uh, Mm -hmm. It can be really hard to pinpoint that with BPD sometimes. Um, And so, like, because it's just so deeply ingrained in you, it's so internalized that, like, it is really hard to figure out, like, oh my god, where does this come from? Whereas with CPTSD, it's, it's like, it's a lot easier to figure out where does this come from? It comes from this specific trauma or... You know, like, this happened to me, and now it has changed my attitude on the world. It has yeah. changed my attitude about people. Or, or like, something bad has happened, and it has validated all these other horrible times where this happened, you know? Like, um, does that make sense? Like, Absolutely. Like, that the case totally for absolutely makes everyone? sense. Yeah, it's not the case for absolutely everyone, but, like, you know, it is still case by case, but... From my recovery, what I've noticed, these are the differences, Um, you know, so Mm -hmm. after surviving domestic violence, like, a lot of my thoughts, my attitudes, my behaviors, my coping mechanisms changed, Um, and, like, some of them stayed the same because of BPD, but when I, like, unpacked stuff that I do as as a response to domestic violence... Um, it was a lot easier to analyze further, like, okay, what am I doing because of my BPD? Like, where, you know, like, where does this fear of abandonment come from? Like, what's going on here, right? Why am I so triggered by this? Um, versus, like, CPTSD, I know, like, I'm having nightmares about abuse that I endured. And, you know, like, uh, there's a concrete example of like, yeah, I feel this way and I'm triggered by this because this person used to do exactly these things to me or like this environment like reminds me of abuse that I endured in a similar environment, like stuff like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned your recovery and I wonder if you know, are there differences in the recovery journeys? Is there differences in like treatment strategies? Um, or anything like that when it comes to BPD versus CPTSD? Mm, Yeah, like, BPD, I did dialectic behavior therapy, and that was really helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is like the kind of standard of treatment, like that's the chosen modality. That's the most highly recommended modality for people with uh, BPD. But when I was working through PTSD and complex PTSD, um, I, there was kind of a level of like cognitive behavior therapy. And I know a lot of people don't like that modality. Um, but it was specifically for PTSD. And it was kind of helpful to break down like, okay, why am I responding this way? And, and like, why like, how do I kind of change my attitudes about the world so that I don't have to live in fear? That I don't have to live just avoiding everything, right? Like, it was cognitive processing therapy that I had to do. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of, like, it took all of my fear and it kind of broke it down on a, like, I guess a molecular level. So I could have an explanation i could really analyze things and and understand where everything's was coming from right um i could just kind of look at myself 
uh, like, I guess, from a bird's eye view almost. And, and like, not overanalyze and, like, kind of intellectualize everything, but it, it just kind of slowed everything down. It was a good way to just break it all down and be like, okay, you know what? This is where this comes from. This is kind of why I'm responding in this way. And I need to understand that, like, I am safe now. And, you know, I can feel my emotions and bring some of that DBT stuff in. I can tolerate these emotions and work through them and process them. And once I do that, I can kind of release myself from the fear. I don't have to be afraid anymore of feeling an emotion. I don't have to live in fear of being, like, you know, I can create my own safe space within myself to validate myself and process the pain and the fear. Um, and with BPD, a lot of it is being able to tolerate and, like, bring the intensity of an emotion down so that you can cope. Um, so being able to do the two modalities really helped me a lot. Um, and so there is a difference. There's also a new thing that isn't talked about enough, I don't think, but there's this, like, new modality of DBT that's being developed. It's called Radically Open Dialectical Behavior Therapy, and it's, like, an evolved approach, uh, approach to DBT, and it has been really good for specifically people who are emotionally over-controlled, um, and so that emotional over-control is a common thing with, like, quiet BPD and CPTSD, um, you're so over-controlled, like I said, you're like a, like a can of compressed air with no nozzle, right? And so radically open DBT, I did some stuff for that, and there is, like, forms of DBT for specifically CPTSD as well. Like, I had worksheets that were DBT worksheets, but they were for CPTSD, um, if that makes sense. So... There, there, there isn't, like, one or the other. It just, there are multiple modalities that can work for, for a person. It just, um, it takes a while. Like, you may have to try one and then be like, okay, cool. I've, like, done enough of that. Now I want to try this modality that supports this kind of issue that I'm having or that has this approach that kind of aligns better with who I am, maybe. Like, there's things like schema therapy, stuff like that so there isn't like a right or wrong it's it just it is a matter of kind of trying and seeing something and then if it's really not working you you just try another one there are a lot of different options yeah absolutely um yeah i've i've done a little bit of dbt um i've also i had one session of emdr so for people listening that's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy it was very strange um i thought it was going to be really triggering and instead it was like very comforting and so i was like this is weird and just do it again <laughs> um but yeah looking into getting back into that but yeah there are there's lots of different uh treatment modalities for both and okay so it's good to know that the treatments aren't like starkly different um but how they work and why they work might be a little different um depending yeah, on like, what you're dealing with yeah for me what i've noticed in recovery is when i was treating bpd um dbt was really good because it helped me gain control uh over my life um and my emotions 
you know, it, it better equipped me to handle my symptoms and make sure that they weren't just taking over my life. Um, but, you know, I still needed to unpack some trauma and DBT doesn't really do that. And, uh, so it's not, it's not bad because it doesn't do that. Like DBT still benefited me greatly, but I still had some different work to do. And so I needed to, uh, you know, I needed to do some trauma-informed therapy and really get to the root of why I keep kind of engaging in patterns, like why pat these things kind of keep happening. Why can't I break the cycle, right? Like I, I was, I was still in a cycle of like kind of relationships that just were not good for me, and DBT wasn't really helping with that. It was just helping me cope, and better advocate for myself as well and like validate myself but I still needed the trauma therapy to really unpack like the core of everything like I needed to get really deep down in there I need it was like cleaning a drain you know like when you're cleaning something you gotta clean a drain you have to really get your hands dirty and in there and just pull everything out of there and just like you know when you pull everything out of there you have to look at it you'd be like holy sh like that was in there I cannot believe all of that was in there and then you can kind of process it throw it out put it away and then the drain works a lot better it just feels a lot better to really get down to the core of things and understand the core and break cycles so yeah absolutely are beneficial yeah, definitely I think a lot of CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, gets a lot of hate from me as well. Uh, <laughs> but I think it can be really helpful for um, that coping, right? It's not great for looking at what's in the drain, but it's kind of good for parsing what's it, what you found. Like, are there any, like, did you drop a rake down the sink, you know, helping you find that stuff? Yeah. So um, I think. The last thing I want to do, I guess, is go back to our recap. Um, were there any other differences that you wanted to make sure that we point out before we um, conclude? Yeah, so a big thing that TikTok doesn't really get to cover a lot of nuance with CPTSD. So you can't really talk about, like, in depth about a bunch of differences. You can just say, like, Okay, yeah, BPD has a fear of abandonment, for example, and CBTSD doesn't. That's, like, too simple, because both ha do have a fear of abandonment, um, but the way they present themselves is different. Uh, so, you know, people with BPD typically, not everybody, but typically, they have a fear of abandonment, and it presents itself in that, like, you are constantly getting into relationships you're constantly clinging to relationships and holding on as tightly as you can to avoid abandonment. You're holding on to people so that they don't leave. You will do, you will engage in these frantic efforts to avoid abandonment. Um, and so you want to keep people from leaving. You, you don't want them to abandon you. You just care so much and, and you, you want to avoid that. So you cling. Um, and you know, if you get abandoned, 
it, it's common for people with BPD to rush into a new relationship to avoid that feeling of abandonment. They, they kind of, they don't process it, they avoid it. And they're like, okay, I'm just, I have to move on. I have to move on. And I have to really fight this, this feeling like of loneliness and abandonment, right? I used to do that. I used to go kind of lily padding from relationship to relationship to avoid the feeling of, of despair that I got from feeling abandoned. Um, and I couldn't stop. Like, I just could not stop at all. It was this constant cycle. Um, and, uh, with CPTSD, there's this fear of abandonment as well, but you avoid, um, a lot of PTSD in general, you avoid things. It's, there's a ton of avoidance because again, it's like this fear and shame. And so, it's very common for people with CPTSD to just avoid giving others the chance to abandon them whatsoever. So they will leave before they can be left. Uh, they will just not, they will be very avoidant. They will not engage in relationships at all. Even they'll, they'll just like, they'll just be like, well, what's the point? So I'm just not going to get close to anyone. I will not let anyone get close to me. And that way I cannot be abandoned. Um, and that kind of behavior can certainly happen in people with BPD as well, but it it's just more common for those differences to present themselves accordingly. Like people with BPD generally cling, they lily pad relationships and people with complex PTSD avoid. Avoidance is very common with PTSD, so. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense to me. And I think there's something to be said too for um, this idea that there is like typical BPD, which is hard to describe because there's so many subtypes and everyone's different and all that stuff, but there, there's like core features, right? Core features. And then there's associated features. This is something I got from uh, Leslie Saidi on TikTok. Uh, everybody should go follow them. They're great. Um, but there's core features and then associated features of BPD. And then there's core features and associated features of CPTSD. And you might have a core feature of BPD that's also an associated feature of CPTSD. And it's trying to figure out what comes from what. So like that fear of abandonment might come from something really specific if it's for BPD, whereas it might be more of an associated thing with CPTSD. Um, mm -hmm. So just looking at those differences, I think can be helpful too. Yeah, there, there is seriously, like, just so much nuance, and it's case by case, and so, you know, when you go on TikTok, and there's just these short little videos, like, the fact is, everybody, people are complex individuals, and so nobody's experience with any disorder is going to line up perfectly with just a written down cluster of symptoms, and so, you know, just because... You also just can't have, you don't always have to just have one or the other, right? Like I, the fact is I have both and I live with both and I've been in recovery with both and, and it's taken me a while to figure out like, okay, where does this particular behavior come from? Like, where is this stemming from? Why am I triggered because this is kind of a deep set BPD thing and I need to work through it? Or is this a trigger because of, you know abuse that I went through recently like where where is this all coming from and maybe it's all coming from both and 
it sounds like a really exhausting thing to think about and it is at first but eventually you kind of get used to it and you're like okay well it's it, you know what it's just a flashback it'll pass and i know why this flashback is happening is because this particular thing reminds me of that person you mm-hmm. know or like you get used to it it gets easier you just kind of accept things about yourself you're like oh okay yeah, this is just my BPD doing BPD brain things, and it'll pass. Okay, here's this DB tool, DBT tool that I'll just, let's check the facts. All right. Um, you know, it was hard at first as well to kind of differentiate, like, am I being paranoid or am I being hypervigilant? What? Mm. That's, a, that's another thing. Am I being paranoid or am I being hypervigilant? Okay, so like, you know... It's maybe not hypervigilance if I'm thinking, like, okay, there's somebody watching me at all times. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like, that might be a paranoid thing, and I just need to go to sleep and get a good sleep, and then I'll feel better. And then that that, that cyclical thought will just, like, fade off. Um, And then, or I'll be out in public, and I'll, like, see an actual thing that triggers me, and I'm like, okay, whoa, I'm not being paranoid, um, I'm just reminded of the car that this person used to drive, and freaking out because the logic part of my brain is like, okay, they are not here, and you are safe. But your brain is immediately like, oh my god, a silver car, ah! And you're like, oh my god, is he there? Oh my god, like, that's hypervigilance, and you can kind of, and I can kind of be like, okay, not being paranoid, it makes sense that I feel this way, and that my brain is doing a thing, but I have to validate myself and remind myself I am safe and that is not the car, <laughs> right? So it gets easier, it gets easier, but yeah, the fact is, is too, if, if you haven't spent a lot of time working through it, it all does look the same mm-hmm. and it's tough. It's confusing. Yeah, it really is. Um, but I like, I like, this is part of why I like talking to you so much. First of all, you're just very informed and you know your stuff. And so I find that like just fascinating, but also you're so validating in that you're like, okay, no, I understand that it's hard. I understand what you're going through. Like I get it. And there's hope. Like it's hard, like both dialectical, you know, (laughs) it's refreshing. It does get easier, you know? Um, and Sometimes it does feel hopeless. Like some days I'll just be like, oh man, what if I like, what if I'm just like this forever? But it just, the feeling passes. And, um, you know, a lot of why I was not recovering for so long is because I believed in this kind of fallacy, this like recovery fallacy that recovery looks like never feeling crappy ever again. Mm-hmm. never being mm-hmm. triggered never 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 like there's this fallacy where it revolves around the, the word never and yeah. i'm always gonna feel good these absolutes this language of absolutes right and that's just not realistic everybody life in general is just up and down all the, a lot you know and you just kind of recovery just is learning to cope a lot better and learning to accept yourself as well as your the things that happen yeah just having a lot of self-compassion and being like you know what yeah i feel really bad right now um because of this because of maybe what happened to me or you know because of my disorder i feel this way but 
you know, it's it's okay. That happens. And not crazy. Not crazy. It just feels crappy right now, but it's okay. You're good. It'll be okay. Yeah. I think a huge part of recovery from almost anything, but especially BPD and CPTSD is learning not to react or to react differently to yourself and your experiences. So like, a lot of pain that I experienced for a long time wasn't necessarily from my depression or from my triggers or from my autism. It was from the way I reacted to those things because I reacted with deep shame and like just what's wrong with me? Why am I like this? All this stuff, right? When really, if I would just feel the pain I was in instead of adding on to it, you know, but I would add on to it because that pain felt more manageable. It was more manageable to hate myself than it was to just feel sad for no reason or to feel sad for a reason that I didn't want to acknowledge. Um, mm -hmm. It made more sense to pile on it with self-hatred and self-loathing. Mm -hmm. A lot of my recovery has been not hating myself for just feeling an uncomfortable emotion, mm -hmm. you know? Um, that is a super relatable thing when you say like you hate yourself for feeling the pain you know it yeah. turns into this shame you know like why how dare I feel this pain right now like you know I, I should just be chill all the time right I have this thought my whole life like why can't I just be more chill why can't nothing affect me um, but the fact is we're human and humans have emotions that's what comes with an elevated intelligence as a living being, you know, like you have emotions and all emotions, whether people believe it or not, all emotions are good. They are signals to things that you need to pay attention to. All emotions are good. They don't all feel good, but they are all good. They are all telling you something that you need to pay attention to. When you're angry, it's, it's actually okay to be angry. But a lot, of people, a lot of us grow up in an environment where anger is not allowed. And so you learn to turn it into shame. You're like, oh man, I'm, you know, I'm a bad person because I'm angry at something. But like, you're probably angry because, and you're allowed to be angry because, you know, this. Like, let's say someone says something rude to you that's blatantly rude. You're allowed to be angry. Yeah. Um, and it's just how you cope with that. Do you need to respond in like a very elevated fashion to the anger? Maybe not. There are helpful ways to respond to your emotions and release them that mm. we can learn. But the emotion itself, all emotions are good. And I'm going to write that on my mirror. All emotions, all are, emotions good. are good. All of them. I love that. They're just, they're not good. There's no morality to emotions. They're, they're not good or bad. So when, you know, like I used to, think like anger was bad or sadness was bad or you know all of that like but they're they're all good there's no morality they're just there are some comfortable emotions like joy and love and then there are some kind of uncomfortable emotions but they're all good it's just a matter of tolerating the emotion and releasing it in a helpful way yeah. And honestly, real quick, can we also talk about the invalidating environment leading to even feeling uncomfortable with happiness or joy if it's too excessive? Like, oh, well, that's cringe. Like, you can't be too happy either. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mm. Yeah. No, that's a thing, too. You feel like, you know, um, 
it's it's normal if you grow up in an environment like that where if you feel too happy uh it's a common thing like some people had this environment where if you showed a lot of joy or happiness or whatever or excitement about something there you get dismissed you're like why are you so happy why are you so excited about that it's not a big deal like oh my god you loser like why are you so happy about this thing that nobody else cares about like you you probably you've probably had things like that said to you right Oh, yeah. Why are you so excited about this thing that nobody else cares about? It's like, okay, well, why am I not allowed to be excited about this? Why do you, like, why do you care so much that I'm excited? Why are you so chapped that I'm excited about something, mm-hmm. right? And so you learn, you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm getting so excited. I'm talking too much about this. I'm sorry, I'll stop. You know, I'll stop being so excited. Sorry. You know, you apologize for, for fun emotions as well. It's like, why why joy joy feels good joy feels great and if you're just if you're just being a chatterbox and excited about something like what's the big deal you're not hurting anyone no exactly and while to work through that for all its faults thank goodness for tiktok for bringing us elise myers you know if i'm too much go find less that is my new mantra i am loving it yeah yeah Yeah. A, a lot of it is a lot of recovery is unpacking the shame and and learning you know, what's, what's good shame and what's not helpful shame. Okay. So before we end, I just wanted to ask what is one thing, let's say someone listened to all of this and they sort of found themselves zoning out and now they're zoning back in and they're like, crap, I missed it all. What's one thing you want people to take away from this episode? Oh man. I know it's kind of a lot of pressure. It's okay. It's whatever. I should have been thinking about this whole episode. Um, honestly, the, there are a lot of differences between complex PTSD and BPD. There's a lot of nuance that you need to consider. It's not just one or the other. Um, and so, you know, if someone is really confused, like, is it this or is it this? It makes sense that you're confused. It is confusing because the fact is we're all complex individuals and you can have both you can have one or the other and they look very similar and you know the big thing is bpd is kind of this thing this disorder ingrained into your personality from an invalidating environment not necessarily abusive um and complex ptsd doesn't develop like a personality disorder it it comes from a long period of time where you're exposed to a lot of traumatic or abusive things um, and you can't necessarily pinpoint one acute ev- traumatic event that affects you. It's, it's like a bunch of tra- traumatic things. And, um, you know, complex PTSD, you struggle with a lot of internalized shame and like avoidance. You can be very avoidant. You can just shut down and there's a lot of fear as well. And BPD, there's like this, it's almost like an all-encompassing thing that is very hard to sort through. So if someone really is confused, like, is it, which one is it? It is important to really explore the differences, really do a lot of self-reflection and know that there's not a singular answer. There's no, like, there is a lot of nuance to this topic and uh there's no yes or no answer there's no 
binary answer. Uh, it requires a lot of self-reflection, and so uh, it it is. It's not a polarized topic. It's very nuanced. Yes, and thank you so much for sharing some of that nuance with us today. I loved everything. This was such a wonderful conversation. Um, thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure. All right, everybody. I will talk to you next Saturday. Bye. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave a review over on Apple podcasts and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.